The information and opinions expressed on this podcast are intended to address specific questions asked, situations described in the program or on the website, and topics of expressed interest. The information and or opinions are not intended to be a substitute for professional medical and or mental health diagnosis or treatment. You should not act or rely upon any information contained in these broadcasts or on the website without seeking the advice of a mental health and or medical professional who has conducted a formal assessment or evaluation on you and has the requisite information needed to provide a more well-informed opinion. This includes, but is not limited to, licensed mental health professionals, psychiatrists, and medical physicians and doctors. If you have any questions about the information or opinions expressed on the website or during this broadcast, please contact your licensed mental health and or medical professional. Welcome to the Wellness Enclave with Dr. Sewell. The Wellness Enclave will explore emotional health and its impact on everyday life. In the Enclave, we will address emotional health and how it is connected to other parts of your life, such as physical health, relationships, spirituality, and even decision-making. The goal is to help you become a healthier and happier you through motivation, education, and innovation. And now, The Wellness Enclave with Dr. Sewell. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Wellness Enclave, where emotional health and wellness is our top priority. Today, we have a very special call-in guest in The Enclave or with The Enclave. Her name is Miss Natalie Ellis. She has been with us before. We will be talking about sexual trauma within the children and adolescents segment of the population. We'll be right back after this commercial break. with Dr. Sewell and our very special call-in guest, Ms. Natalie Ellis. How are you this morning, Ms. Ellis? I'm wonderful. Can you hear me? I can. I can hear you. Okay, great. Okay. Wonderful. So I appreciate you for um, calling in. Uh, For those of you who don't know, she is a return guest. Uh, She always has very helpful um, and insightful information. So today we will be be talking about... um, Basically, it's a, and it's a touchy subject for some people, but dealing with um, sexual trauma or sexual trauma among children and adolescents. And the reason I wanted her on the show to talk about this is because within my career, as well as 
you know, um, friends and, and otherwise. It, this is this is a topic here that I think is very important, and we're seeing more and more people are talking about it, particularly in more and more communities, and a lot of people don't know how to handle it. So I appreciate you for um, calling in. Thank you very much. That's fine. No problem. I enjoy talking about this topic because it's such an important topic to talk about um, um, because there's such lack of information and oftentimes there's so many people that carry this information with them or carry these experiences with them and and um, don't really get the full help that they need. So. Okay. so we definitely need to educate and let this information out. So I appreciate you having me. Yes, ma'am. So one of the things that, you know, I always like to put things in context. So I want you to do two things for me. And I know you've done this on the other shows, define the ages of child and, you know, when we talk about child and adolescence, the, the age range. But the other thing is talk about what, what does sexual trauma entail? Like, is that incest, rape? Is it touching, inappropriate touching? To, tell us what that entails. Yes, definitely. Um, and Donna, there's another music in the background, so it's hard to hear you. Okay, okay. Um, but yes. In regards to the definition of, of sexual trauma, it's when there's ever um, when when an individual has experienced a traumatic a sexual trauma, a sexual experience, and it has left physical, emotional, and psychological symptoms um, as a, because of the, the sexual trauma. So, okay, when one experiences these things, there's going to be a physical symptom, there's going to be emotional symptoms, there's going to be psychological symptoms that um, the individual is left with. Okay. And oftentimes um, they're just left sitting with that and, and there's not um, any healing that takes place. So when we and talk when about we that talk age about, range, I'm sorry, when we talk about that age range, what are we talking about with children and adolescents? Um, in regards to um, child, child is, you know, um, when we say zero to tw- well, 12, up to 12, mm-hmm. and then adolescence typically starts at 12, 12 to um, 18 Okay, is adolescence. Okay. Um, okay. So it's adolescent starts at that time. And when you look at the research, um, sexual trauma does does occur to, to young kids as young as three. Okay. It has happened to, to kids as young as three and obviously through um, up through adolescence as well. Okay. And so these are different things that could happen. And, and, and there's different layers of what sexual trauma could be or what that sexual assault can be. There's rape, which is where there's um, penetration in that in their private parts. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, mm-hmm. There's also non-sexual um, contact as well, and so exposure to um, pornography, exposure to okay. sexual activities, those can also be sexual um, abuse. Okay. Okay. Those could also fall under that sexual trauma, and when we talk about that too, when we think of rape, we think of rape in terms of a forceful act, mm-hmm. and at times it is. But when we're looking at it in this perspective. Um, there's also the sexual act where it's it's not in the form of there's no force at all. There's manipulation. There may be coercion, okay. um, grooming that takes place, and so sometimes um, kids are in situation where they are sexually assaulted, molested, and it's not painful. It's not um, it's not um, a violent act, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet it is still sexual sexual um, assault and sexual trauma occurs as a result of that. Okay. And, and again, we're talking about children and adolescents, and I know you said children generally is like from zero to eleven or twelve, some somewhere around there. So, when at, at what point, as as a parent or guardian or, or whomever, um, at what point should you explain good touch, bad touch to your children? Do you think um, it, it begins early on? You know, when the child starts to understand and talk, really helping them understand their um, 
to their private parts and using the proper terminology, okay. not pocketbook, not wee wee, <laughs> okay. really helping them understand the proper terminologies of their right. private parts, their breast, their vagina, their penis, their buttocks, um, so that they understand these are their private parts and only they need to touch that and whoever is mm-hmm. permitted to, whether it's a parent, whomever has been identified. And and also helping them understand whenever they're uncomfortable with anybody touching that, then then it's okay to verbalize that. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, very early on, because kids are exposed to to everyone very early on. Mm-hmm. And as you as you also find out in the research, most sexual trauma doesn't occur with strangers, with family members, with parents, mm-hmm. with siblings. Okay. Um, so. So as early as these conversations can happen, because that research also shows that it, it empowers the individual when they're aware, oh, this is my breast, this is my vagina, mm-hmm. and these are private to me, mm-hmm. versus the unawareness of that. And those things occur, and they're left with um, not really sure what to do with that. Right. Um, right. And so ways to prevent some of this from happening is to educate and to empower kids and as young as possible. Okay. Okay. Are there any other types of conversations that you recommend uh, that you should have with your children, particularly when it, when you're dealing <clears throat> when you're dealing with sexual uh, abuse or them being able to identify it, uh, be, and, and I'm saying that because I'm thinking of you know every now and again I'll throw something out that I'm thinking of something that's <laughs> happened. So I'm thinking mm-hmm. of um, I I know a lot of young ladies um, all the way up to 18 and some 19 mm-hmm. um, who will go out on dates or there with uh, young men um, and a lot of times they don't realize that they have been sexually assaulted. Yes. So yes. that's why I'm saying are there other conversations that should t- take place? And are, are okay. there other conversations that should take place during various developmental stages? Yes, 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 yes. So, so the assault is, or the sexual trauma doesn't just occur because it's an adult mm-hmm. to a child. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely significant, right? Mm-hmm. But then it could occur among siblings. It can occur with, um, with a peer. Right. And Mm -hmm. so whenever a peer is engaging themselves sexually towards you without your permission, without your consent. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Then 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 that's something to question. And so, yes, um, I get it often with a lot of my um, female clients who go out on dates and not knowing, oh, I'm not sure if they raised me. I'm not sure if this happened. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And the fact that they said no. um, And on both ends. Right. Because right. Absolutely. When we're talking about sex, mm-hmm. when we're talking about sexual stuff, we're, we're talking also not just um, family within the family, but also a bigger thing, right? Right. So sex for men is a lot different for sex for women in terms of what society has, has mm-hmm. taught us, mm-hmm. right? And so what girls are taught about sex is not the same as what boys are taught about sex. Right. And so even for boys, if a boy is approached by a woman older than him or a woman that's an adult and he's a child, that may not necessarily be a concern. So these things aren't necessarily talked about. That's not necessarily viewed as sexual abuse to, to report on. Because, because right. oh, man, she likes me, you know, the right. sexual prowess of, of, of what's been educated for men. Right. Whereas for women, it's, it's different. So that may be taken differently. Um, but the reality but yes, is, the but let, let me, hold on one sec. Let me back up to what you just said, because I, I want people to understand, though, what the reality is. It may not be viewed if an older woman or, you know, um, approaches a boy or what have right. you. But while it's not viewed like that in society, is it still considered some form of sexual abuse? Yes. Okay. It is still sexual abuse. And it that woman can still be charged. Any individual, men or women, mm-hmm. um, 
first of all, there's two two parts to that, right? Mm-hmm. So a child, even if a child is saying, because that happens a lot too, right? A teenage girl, mm-hmm. 12, 13, 14, she may be promiscuous, she may be whatever. If anyone um, touches her without her permission, that's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. But if an adult does these things without her permission, that's an issue, right? The mm-hmm. same thing with men, with boys. If they're saying, it, whether they uh, whether they want it or not, Yes, if it's without their consent, it's a problem. But even in consensual sex, right, mm-hmm. if this person is older than you, if this person is an adult, mm-hmm. then it's still sexual abuse. Right. You can still, they could still be charged. Right. And so it's not just about giving consent. Right. And, well. and I think that's you're very important. Minor and, and you're having, yes. And I, I think yes, that's that very important. I think it's very important because we talked about it. Me and another guest talked about that on the show a while back in terms of the law surrounding that because I think people don't always understand that so so let me let me ask you this um other than children being threatened because a lot of times when children are being abused sexually abused you know they're being threatened or their parents are being threatened if you tell someone they're not going to believe you if you tell someone i'm going to kill your parents or you i'm going to hurt your family those types of things are there any other reasons that children and even adolescents but especially um children because i'm thinking of some examples that they're hesitant to yeah. Um, report sexual abuse to that to sure. a parent or guardian. Um, fear of backlash. Okay. You know, and, and you know, there's fear of backlash from the perpetrator to the mm-hmm. family. Mm-hmm. Um, fear that they may be removed from the home. Okay. Because they are aware of the consequences. You mm-hmm. know, defects may get involved because again, these things are becoming more common. So, peace, so kids are aware of the consequences of what may ha- of what may happen if they report. Right. Um, this may be again a father, or he may go to jail if this mm-hmm. if if this happens. And so, so despite these things happening, there's a lot of hesitance to report because again, the consequences may impact the family, family. especially again because we're talking about these are not done by strangers. It's not a stranger, somebody you didn't know that this this, this um, is the perpetrator. These are right. family members, so it's going to impact the family as well. And so oftentimes people don't say anything. That's my mom's boyfriend. That's my daddy. Right. You know, Right. Um, I don't want him to go to jail. Right. Um, and the other thing I've heard, too, is um, because of the way people talk about sexual abuse, you know, oftentimes kids hear, well, if anybody ever does anything to my child, I'm going to kill him. And so then I've had situations where the kid didn't say anything because, well, I didn't want my parent to go to jail for killing this person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and so th- those are those are also reasons why people don't say anything, the hesitation. And then there's obviously the shame, the embarrassment, the guilt, um, feeling responsible. And so individuals also um, take responsibility for those things as well. Right. A lot of kids do take that responsibility too. Right. And so before we go to commercial break, I have one more um, question for you. And I think this is key for parents, teachers, guardians, whomever comes in contact with that child, has healthy communication or healthy contact with that child. What are some of the behaviors that children and or adolescents may exhibit when they're being sexually abused? Right. Some of some of the behaviors is um, they may start to isolate. Right. They may begin to have increased sexual behaviors. They're um, be more promiscuous. Um, they're talking more sexually. And this happens also at a young age, right? So even the, mm-hmm. the, the three-year-old, the five-year-old who may have been touched or may be exposed to pornography, mm-hmm. they're acting out more sexually. They're engaging in um, touching other kids inappropriately. Um, isolation. Um, there may be things like um, just physical pain that they may be going through. Mm-hmm. There may be rashes in their private parts. Mm-hmm. And then understanding, you know. Um, so these are different things for parents to just be aware of. 
Okay. Um, low self-esteem, um, depression, cutting, wanting to run away, mm. um, not wanting to go hang out in the person's house anymore, um, disconnection okay. um, from the family. Okay. Um, more acting out behaviors, failing grades. Um, so it's going to impact in all levels, whether um, it's physical, yeah, emotional, okay. psychological. Mm-hmm. And again, whenever there's any shift in behaviors mm-hmm. with, with children, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's not automatically to assume this kid is just being bad or they're not getting their way. Right. We need to ask deeper questions. We need to um, listen and kind of talk about, hey, what's been going on? I noticed these things. what's been going on with you. It's not just because they want to be bad or just because they don't, they're not getting their way. Okay. It's usually something deeper. Okay. All right, everyone. So you are listening to Dr. Sewell and the Wellness Enclave with her very special guest, Ms. Natalie Ellis. She is talking to us about sexual sexual trauma among children and adolescents. Uh, We hope you're enjoying the conversation. We hope that you are finding this very informative and we'll be right back after this commercial break. Welcome back to the Wellness Enclave, where emotional health and wellness is our top priority. You are listening to Dr. Sewell and our very special guest, Miss Ellis, talking about sexual trauma among children and adolescents. And I would also like to thank Mr. Smith for playing the original. You thought it was just Whitney Houston, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, see? <laughs> so, all right, Miss Ellis, how's everything going? How are you doing? You doing okay? I'm good. I'm are you good. Doing, okay, that's good. That's good. All yeah, right, so. Number one, I, I wanted to make sure I, people understand the stats in regards to um, child abuse. Yes, ma'am. One out, of, one out of every five girls and one out of every 20 boys. And so this stuff, that's pretty common. And the number for the boys is, is like that, one out of 20, because a lot of boys aren't reporting that. But that's still a large number, despite the lack of report. 
So one out of every five girls and one out of every 20 boys. So do those statistics um, break down whether it's male on male? Do they do they break that down? Did you see anything? Um, no, on that? Okay. it's not broken down. Okay. Okay. But that is a lot because that's, this is, as you mentioned before, it's a lot of shame around um, this uh, around this particular topic. It shouldn't be. But it is. It's a lot of shame around this particular topic. And I know a lot of times parents or guardians don't are not reporting anything for various reasons, as well as the children may not report anything for various reasons. So for it, for well, that, even that much to be reported is a lot. So that's exactly. correct. Well, sex is still a very taboo topic, right? And mm-hmm. so before we could even talk about all this other stuff in regards to inappropriate sexual behaviors, we don't even, we can't even talk about appropriate sex, right? right. We can't even talk about it in the appropriate manner to even now in, incorporate the inappropriate stuff. Mm-hmm. Sex is still very taboo. I mean, although we are sexual beings, and that's something that's very natural. Right. Sex is not the conversation we even have, which we need to have. We need to start having this conversation with with our kids in the healthy manner. Because, again, when the inappropriate or unhealthy things are introduced, Mm -hmm. then they're aware of what's going on. The thing is, we start having these conversations because the unhealthy stuff is being introduced. That's correct. Sadly enough, it's introduced very early on because of, again, how we view sex. Right. And how and how we talk about sex as a society. And so Right. Um, yeah. And then that increased the shame because there's still lots of shame because sex is taboo, there's lots of shame when it comes to sex. And I agree. I agree with you. I, I agree with you. Just a sidebar. We had a show a few weeks ago on healthy sexual re- relationships among adults. And we were talking about it's still a lot of of um, I, I guess you would say I don't want to use the term shame, but it's, it is it is a lot of basically I don't want to talk about this. You know, they they kinda of, it's kinda of standoffish. It's like I'm embarrassed to talk about this. Like this is not something that I actually enjoy. This is not a part of being a natural being. So I I definitely agree with you. Let me ask you let me ask you this. Um mm-hmm. do perpetrators look for a certain type do do they look for certain types of children when they are going after their after their victims? Like do they look for people who have kids who have low self esteem, like that that type of thing. Yeah. Is there a certain type of child that they look for? Yes, yes, yes. Um, so again, because 93% of, of perpetrators are usually family members, so there's there's already an understanding of what's going on with their child within the home, right? Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. there's those pieces that occur. But then the, the the stranger or the outsider who's also doing that in some ways, yes, low self-esteem, kids who tend tends to be loners, tend to already have mental health and behavior health issues because mm-hmm. at that point mm, their behavior is already unstable. Um to some extent, kids who already who have some depression, um, kids who are emotionally and economically dependent, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. because again, the grooming happens in that way, so um, they could depend on that person. So they could depend on that person, and that's how that that some of that behavior begins. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, okay. Uh, low self esteem, kids also with low um, um, intellectual functioning. Okay. Okay. Um, kids who aren't educated in regards to sex, so kids who's talking about their pocketbook versus their vagina, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. then there may be they're more at risk um, mm-hmm. because then their lack of understanding about sex. Um, so yes, there are certain characteristics that the perpetrator do look at to see okay, the, this person is more of a risk. Now, um, conversely, then they become a safer, mm-hmm. safer target. Right. Conversely, are there certain character traits or behaviors? I think with perpetrators, a lot of times is behaviors. Are there certain behaviors that um, as a parent, guardian, and adult that you can see in perpetrators or that you may need to be wary of? Yeah, there of? are, um, but a lot of that stuff sometimes is really hard to see. Right, um, right. Because they, too, also have low self-esteem. They also have sometimes poor um, mm-hmm. uh, 
uh, relationships for um, social relationships. Right, like poor interpersonal relationships. Interpersonal and right, relationships right. as well. Um, lack of support. And so because it's a wide range, right, the perpetrator can also be a five-year-old. A five-year-old can Agreed. perpetrate against a mm-hmm. three-year-old or against because they're touching somebody inappropriate. You know, so those things, we're not using those terminologies for the kids, but the person's quote and the unquote perpetrator can also be a child. Correct. Right? And so mm-hmm. then it's about educating that child about their behavior as well. And so when that child is also not educated about their behavior, then that continues to be a behavior they exhibit into their adult life. There aren't any consequences. So most times when when these behaviors um, are reported and are dealt with, oftentimes they don't become um, problems in the future. The mm-hmm. research shows when kids uh, who um, are victims also receive help and who are also perpetrators and receive help early on Mm -hmm. they don't they no longer they don't become victims into their adult life okay part of the reason they they don't become perpetrators either right part of the reason that happens is when there isn't any accountability Mm -hmm. there isn't any response so when people are keeping things hush hush Mm -hmm. right so if i if if you have a teenage boy who touched a younger child and we're keeping it hush hush that child that teenager is not held responsible there's no accountability Okay. So because there isn't any accountability, then that, um, in some ways, that seems to excuse the behavior. And right. hence the behavior continues. But when there is accountability, mm-hmm. then the behavior tends to, tends to stop. So let me ask you that. I, I have a lot of questions, but right now we only have like three or four minutes. So I'm going <laughs> to have to narrow them down. So I have... Um, two, I, I have two questions for you. One mm-hmm. is, is about... And I'll run them down to you really quick. What what should a parent do if she determines that her child is actually a perpetrator, like a brother may be molesting uh, his sister or a or or brother? Um, yes. The other piece yes. is what are some resources available for those parents? And then lastly, I want you to tell us where we can find you. Yes. So yes, there's definitely lots of resources, and I work a lot with that population, right? Mm-hmm. Sibling and sibling, and so part of it too is definitely. Um, if you need to contact the authorities, depending on how severe the thing happened, it's definitely important to do that. Okay. At the risk, and the risks are yes, the family will be broken up, um, the family may be separated because again, the child who's now a victim cannot be around the perpetrator. So at right. this point, within within the within the family, sometimes we need family support. At this point, can the child go elsewhere, somewhere else? There's not any children, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So so that they could continue to get the services, get the support that they need to to work through this. Um, but something needs to happen to separate the children. Safety plans need to happen for in the future whenever they're in the same space. Right. Um, right. Sometimes, again, I've had situations where they're both they're eight and nine and mm-hmm. they've had sexual behavior problems. And so we have to create situations where the bathroom, which bathrooms is being used because they can't share bathrooms. Okay. You know, they can't share. They can't both be in the back seat without some type of um, median in the middle of them. You know, so so there's things that can be done to show, hey, this is something important. We're not just going to um, right. shrug this under the rug. You know, we need to address this. We need to show how important it is to to have a healthy boundary. Um, so there's things that can be done in terms of safety planning within the family, so that it, um, so that the family is not totally okay. broken up. Okay. But at times it does create um, a breakup of families as well. You okay. Know, exactly, get involved in things of that sort too. And what are some um, of the resources that that are available to these families? Um, definitely contacting, um, DFAC. you know, if we need to contact mm-hmm. the police, there's resources, the mental health services out there, okay. um, DFACs, there's resources for DFACs, Department of Family and Children Services, um, 
definitely getting mental health long-term support. Kids need to be evaluated whenever there's any suspicion of of, um, sexual abuse. The kid needs to be tested and evaluated to Mm -hmm. determine Mm -hmm. how significant of the abuse Mm -hmm. on both ends if they need because there's sexual um, perpetrator testing as well to see, okay, this is a significant issue. Um, So there's testing on both ends. And then both get the proper help that they need. Okay. Um, mental health services in terms of individual therapy, group therapy. There's specialized treatments for victims. There's specialized treatment also for perpetrators. So there's things out there for families to get um, the support that they need on both ends, whether it's the perpetrator or the victim. Right. Will one of those be Medlin? I, th- I think that's Med- Medlin sure. is, is oh, okay. one. Um, okay. Twin Cedars, which is a residential program. Right. They, they, they focus on sexual behaviors. So the residential okay. program between Cedars is Twin Cedars and Medlin is one. So Medlin is an outpatient program. Mm-hmm. Okay. Highland. Um, there's one, another one, Highland, that's also an outpatient program. And so Maybe now I want you year. to tell us the best way to contact you. Yes, so um, I have um, Instagram, I have um, Facebook, so all of it is esteemcounselingservices.com. So if people just look up esteemcounselingservices.com, they'll find me, Natalie Ellis, and just enter Natalie Ellis and you'll find my information. And your office there. is located where in what part of Georgia? I'm sorry? Your office is located in what part of Georgia? Yes, ma'am. I'm um, in the Decatur, Georgia area, so right off Memorial Drive. I'm really close to the Highway 285. um, There's a MARTA station right behind me, so I'm accessible to clients because that's definitely part of my mission to make sure I'm accessible. And I take most insurance. Um, I do some pro bono work. I do um, sliding scale. I do EAP. There's EAP services out there that people can use for themselves and their families, meaning their employees. Right part of their benefits and then their employee will pay for services for a, a period of time so there's all kinds of stuff out there we just need to make sure we're asking questions and we're educated all right all right all right you guys have been listening to miss natalie ellis talk about sexual trauma among adolescents and children or i should say children and adolescents uh, you've also been listening to her on the Wellness Enclave with Dr. Sewell, where emotional health and wellness is our top priority. As always, I hope this has helped someone, and I hope you guys have a great day, a fantastic day, and a happy and healthy week. This has been the Wellness Enclave with Dr. Donna Sewell. Join us weekly and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We look forward to growing with you.